I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network, presented by SB Nation, hosted by Jake Devereaux, and featuring Keaton DeRocher. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my co-host, Keaton DeRocher, of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back to another edition of the Red Seat. Happy to be here. Just almost broke my glass of milk, setting it down on the counter. So make sure that that's clear. We're ready to go. <laughs> well, I guess you're pretty excited uh, if you're over there smashing milk jugs. Um, but yeah, so since the last time we talked, Keaton, um, the Red Sox have had a substantial, substantially more success uh, than they have been having uh, before that. Uh, Mitch Moreland had the two home runs last night, uh, including the walk-off. We're recording this on a Monday. Um, that was pretty cool. They also split a miniseries with Tampa Bay, one, uh, two out of three against Toronto. And as we speak right now, uh, they are winning four to one against the Rays. And um, as you just noted, J.D. Martinez just hit an absolute tank. Uh, I didn't get to see it because I'm not. I don't have the game on here. But um, yeah, four to one over the Rays. If they win this game, all of a sudden they'll be seven and nine. Um, that's kind of close to five hundred. I wasn't expecting that. What What do you make of this little run that the Red Sox are on? Think it's real? Um, I mean, yeah, I think it's real given the context of who they played. Uh, I mean, we thought that they would be better than Toronto. They took two out of three. They split a two-game series against Tampa, so they've won three out of their last four. Um, I, I guess, do I believe it uh, in the sense of what, like that they can keep this going forward, or <coughs> like a, a playoff team, or just? I mean, they beat who they were supposed to beat. I guess is how. I look well, at it. 
Kind of, right? Like, you you have been of the opinion, and I don't think wrongly, that Tampa Bay is maybe the class of the division. The Yankees are playing really well right now. Um, so splitting with Tampa Bay is probably more than I expected. Um, and then winning two out of three against a really good young Toronto team. They've had trouble with pitching, but, you know, not more than what the Red Sox have had trouble with. So I guess... I wouldn't be surprised if the Red Sox finished well below uh, Tampa Bay and below Toronto. So in that case, I'm kind of uh, delightfully surprised by this. Okay. Well, I guess that had some context. Yeah, I thought that they would be better than Toronto, and so I wasn't surprised. Uh, you're right. Both pitching staffs are pretty bad, and all three games um, were decided by two runs or less. So it's not like there was really a blowout either one way or, or the other. But the Red Sox offense being substantially better got two wins out of it. Um, it's also curious that, well, last week they got to Ryan Yarbrough in the game that they beat Tampa tonight. They're getting to him again. They just kind of have his number. Um, I will feel better about where the Red Sox are as a team if they split this four-game series mm-hmm. or win it. Um, that'll show to me that they actually can kind of go toe-to-toe with some of these teams. They have a really tough stretch here with eight games, uh, four against Toronto, four against New York. Um, and we kind of briefly hit on it on the, the pre-cap that if they're able to do some damage in these eight games and, you know, be 500 or better, uh, then that actually probably won't put them in a bad spot in the division, though I don't, I don't know how long they'd be able to sustain that, even in the 60-game season. But it is encouraging to see that the, the bullpen was able to hold up. I will say that was the one thing that I noted um, in that Toronto series. The bullpen, for the most part, uh, with the exception of the game they lost, really kind of did their job and held uh, Toronto's offense down, which is not something that we're really accustomed to over the past couple seasons. Yeah, that's been encouraging. I think it has been helpful that they've had more bullpen arms to use and they've been doing these sort of bullpen days uh, a little bit more effectively. Uh, than they have been in the past. So I think that's obviously a good thing for them. But I want to focus on Mitch Moreland here a little bit. We got a few <clears throat> listener questions about Mitch Moreland. Um, and so far, his stats before this game tonight, six home runs on the year, 12 RBIs. Those are, you know, close to some of the league leaders there. Um, he's got a 251 WRC+, plus, which is completely outrageous. And he's slugging 935. Obviously, those aren't going to continue. Um, but Moreland has been, without a doubt, the biggest surprise on this team. He only has 33 plate appearances versus, like, 55 for Xander, 51 for Christian Vasquez. So uh, he's been playing significantly less, yet producing significantly more. Um, that's obviously been awesome, but we got a couple listener questions about him that I wanted to get to right now. Um, so the first one came from Matthew Kitson. And he says, any chance that Mitch Moreland plays himself into yet another Red Sox contract? Um, And if I'm not mistaken, Keaton, I think his contract runs through next season as well. Or he has like an option for next season. Maybe I'll look that up while you're talking about this. But do you think he'll he'll do that? Um, Possibly. I mean, I guess it depends on what they view... uh... Yeah, he does. He has a club option for 2021. Yep. $3 million. Um, 
I guess it depends on how they view the young guys. Like, do they think Chavis could play every day or Dahlbach play every day or have them split at first base? Um, Dahlbach's got to eventually get called up at some point here. Um, so, I mean, I imagine the club, the, the way he's going now, will pick up that option. Um, because this is the type of season where a guy like Moreland can thrive. And he usually always has an incredibly hot first half of the season hitting dingers, hitting doubles all over the place, and then kind of fades towards the end. But in a 60-game season, he can stay hot for the whole season. And um, sure, there'll be more. Uh, he could probably get more than $3 million on the market. If Well, I guess it depends on what the spending looks like, but let's just say in a normal year, uh, he could get more than that on the open market. So the Red Sox probably would feel good about locking him up, especially if they don't feel like um, Chavis or Dahlbuck could take it an everyday role at that position, or the two of them could man it successfully together. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked. No. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll pick up his option for next year. Um, this is he'll he'll turn thirty five during this season, so next year he'll be playing through, I believe, his age thirty five year. Yeah, so he'll be. Playing in his 35 till his th- he's 36. Um, I don't know how much longer he can continue kind of a high level of play. But the other thing that's a factor here is obviously his clubhouse presence, which is something that's been talked about kind of a lot. Um, and he's a nice bat to have behind uh, Xander Bogarts and J.D. Martinez and Rafael Devers and all those guys, even though we'll, we'll get to, you know, Devers and J.D. continuing to struggle here. Um, so I, I definitely think they'll pick it up. I don't think that he gets a contract past that though, because you already mentioned a bunch of those options, um, that are behind him. And we got a, another listener question that kind of hints at that stuff. Um, so this one is from Sturge, uh, 48 and he says, when is Bobby Dahlbeck coming up? Uh, why is Chavis only playing first base? This season is lost. Why not give him more time at third base and second base? Um, and then he asks about Benintendi, what's wrong with him? Um, so we'll get to the second part of that question later, but let's focus on the first part. So when do you think Bobby Dahlbeck gets the call? Um, Chavis has been a little bit better. He's got his WRC plus now for the season up over a hundred, uh, which is a huge thing for him. He has two home runs now, um, but he's still striking out at 38.5%. So how do you feel about him right now? Um, I mean, everything is kind of like magnified in a season like this. Um, there's still only like 15 games into the season, which is a relatively small sample size. So, I mean, the strikeouts are concerning, I guess, pretty much no matter what your sample size is, but, um, him starting to figure things out more now over the last week versus the first week of the season is encouraging. And hopefully that kind of continues to, to play that way. Um, I mean, I would think Dahlbach is coming up at some point this season. Um, it doesn't feel like very long before the Red Sox won't really be in contention for anything. I guess technically they still are now. Um, I think they're like four games back. Um, but in two weeks, if they're like eight games back, um, I really wouldn't see a point into keeping him down there um, at the all the alternate site and just playing sim games. It would make a lot of sense to get him to face some kind of uh, live pitching before spring training next season. So I would expect maybe by the end of the month, hmm. I would expect him to be up there. 
Yeah, and do you think he's going to get more than a platoon role? Because right now, I, I, clearly this this listener is frustrated with Chavis's usage patterns and the fact that when we were talking about him preseason, we were talking about him really splitting time at both first base and second base. But Jose Peraza has gotten the lion's share of the time at second base. He's pretty much started there every game. Um, his defense has not graded out as you know spectacular in any way. And he's got a 74 WRC plus. So it does seem like maybe Chavis deserves a little bit of time over there to me. I think there's some some something to that. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I mean, I feel kind of the same way as the listener here that I don't expect anything at all to come out of this season. So why not see what you have in some guys? But the Red Sox usually tend to like not really do that, mm. which is kind of frustrating. Um, like we wanted to see them do that with like Darwin's in a couple different spots last year, but he stayed in the bullpen where he was at. Um, and some of the other minor league arms uh, didn't really get any kind of role that we thought they might. So it's, I guess I wouldn't expect it to expect them to kind of do those experiments um, just because they haven't in the past, but I would like them to. Because I think it's worth it, particularly in like a weird season like this. Like now is the perfect opportunity to find out what you have in some guys, and in the off season, if you can trade, like we, we've talked about uh, moving Chavis for pitching a couple times. Well, why not see what he can do at second and third, and kind of up his value? Yeah. Same with a guy like Dahlbach. Get him some time and see what you have with him, and then make a decision on Moreland. Um, those kind of things that seem to make sense as a path for the ball club. So I would I would hope to see those things happen. I just don't know if they're going to. Yeah, I, I don't think that they'll that there's really much possibility of them playing him at third because he wasn't really a good third baseman uh, in the minor leagues. So I think they kind of know the book is a little bit out on him. Um, I guess there's no you know reason they can't play him there on an off day for Rafael Devers, especially I think because they've played Jose Peraza there. Um, but there is some element, I think, of them figuring out what they have in Jose Peraza, too. Um, he's still only 26 years old, and next year would be his third arb year, and he has a fourth arb year as well uh, that he's eligible for. So the team still has to make a decision about whether or not it's going to pick up Jose Peraza in those third and fourth arb years. So that's, you know, they're collecting data on that as well. Sure. Yeah. I just think. Um... Like today, uh, Jonathan Arauz is playing third in place of Devers getting the day off, which um, I don't know if he has ever played third or not, and I don't currently have the game on, so I can't see how he's doing. Um, But I guess that doesn't seem like a bad uh, shakeup of the order because uh, prior to this season, Jonathan Arauz had never played above double A. So not bad to kind of see what you can get out of him at different positions. Yeah, there's a lot of decision-making that has to be made with all of these guys. Um, so, yeah, collecting info, that's what they're doing. All right, so I want to switch gears here to talk about my man Alex Verdugo. Um, I was psyched about this. Alex Verdugo is now the leadoff hitter for the Red Sox. Um, I've been pretty much saying that he should be the leadoff hitter for this team since the Red Sox went to summer camp and he was healthy again. I never really liked Benintendi in that spot much. Um I'm psyched about this. I think it's really going to work out well. Uh, Verdugo is playing 
some of the best baseball on this team right now. And in terms of where he ranks in, in hitting, he's third on the team in hitting, uh, 123 WRC+. Plus. Um, decent on base percentage. He's got a patient approach at the plate. Doesn't strike out a lot. Will take pitches. Um, plays great defense. I'm psyched about this. Yeah. And that was actually something we forgot to mention about Moreland. Uh, the defense that he's playing right now is just absurd. Oh, so, he's great. I mean, that's a hell of a presence to have at first. But yeah, uh, all facets of the game. Clicking for Verdugo, too. He's made a couple of great catches. That one on Travis Shaw at the wall was incredible. Um and just having to wait for that to come down and leap and make the catch, that was very impressive. And then going the opposite field twice over the monster, very impressive for a left-handed hitter. Yeah, you don't see that a ton. Uh, and to see that from a guy this young is pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, so I don't we think we've couple... seen someone do that with authority since Ortiz. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, we got a couple listener questions about Verdugo. Um the first one comes from Jacob Cordero, and he says, Will Verdugo work out long-term as a leadoff hitter? And I'm going to kind of rephrase this a little bit. Um, do you think there's anyone currently on this team better suited to the uh, leadoff spot? Or do you think that this job, now that it's passed to Verdugo, is pretty much his as long as he continues to play well? Yeah, no, it should be his. And I don't think there's somebody better suited currently on the roster. I guess if Peraza could get on base more. But, I mean, I think we have enough of a sample size. It's just not really his game. So, yeah, Verdugo, it should be. And I wrote an article back in March uh, when we thought we had a regularly scheduled season about leadoff options for the Red Sox. And in it I wrote about how they're probably going to give Benintendi the first shot, but it should be Verdugo. Uh, and I'm glad. I mean, I didn't expect Benintendi to struggle like he has, but... Um, I did want to see Verdugo in the leadoff spot because he hit at the top of the order with the Dodgers pretty frequently. Um, they did some weird things with their leadoff position. They had A.J. Pollock and uh, Max Muncy do that a lot, leadoff a lot. Uh, so Verdugo was hitting second, um, but he had better success at the top of the order than he did in the bottom of the order. And it seems like he's he has that right attitude to be a table setter for the lineup. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I don't think there's anybody on the team who has this skill set. And, um, you know, he has been a top 100 prospect uh, in baseball. He was perennially a top 100 prospect in baseball before he made his debut. This is a guy who's graded out as like a future 60 to 60 plus grade hit tool. Um, good raw power. Um, I don't think there's anybody who is even in the conversation for the leadoff job. Other than Benintendi, who is even in his sort of range in terms of talent. Like when we're talking about Verdugo versus Peraza, talent levels, it's just completely different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but Benintendi, man, it's just very clear that things are not right with him. Um, and so that kind of leads me into my next point. Um, I want to talk about Benintendi's struggles. He is currently still... Uh, as we speak, the worst hitter on the team. His WRC plus has sunk all the way to 18. Um, he's striking out 34% of the time. He has no home runs, one RBI. Uh, his batting average is 056. He is in as bad a slump as I can honestly remember uh, anybody uh, starting off. I, I don't know if I actually do remember anybody being in a slump this bad. This is like worse than what Jackie Bradley Jr.'s bad slumps are. Um, Chris Davis, right? Did he start off like 0 for 54 last year? 
Well, yeah. That might yeah. be the only one that's worse. <laughs> yeah, Chris Davis. That was that was epic. Um, but this is becoming epic, and it's so befuddling because Benintendi is such a great hitter, in, and he has been uh, basically since he got into the big leagues. And, you know, he's not the 70-grade hitter we thought he was going to be, but, I mean, he's probably a 60-grade hitter at least. It's yeah. weird. Um, you wrote about this. And you came to the conclusion in your article that you were not overly worried about him. Can you explain? Because for me right now, I'm very worried. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Yeah, so he has some really interesting tendencies that I think kind of point to what he needs to do to succeed. And it starts with... Uh, his O swing percentage, which is the percent of times he swing and pitches outside the zone, is down from a year ago and more in line with when he had his really great 2018 season. And his O contact percentage is about 30% lower than his career average. So essentially, he's not swinging as many pitches out of the zone, but when he does, he's not making contact with them. But he has, I mean, he's always been able to draw a walk and have an understanding of the strike zone. That, that, I guess, isn't totally shocking, but what was shocking was his zone swing percentage was down about 10%, even though his zone contact percentage is the highest of his career at 90%. So when he swings and pitches in the zone, he's making contact with them. He's getting good results. However, he's just not swinging at pitches in the zone. Mm. And for someone who's in a slump, that seems like the easiest thing to fix. Especially for a guy like Benintendi that has such a handle on the strike zone and can draw a walk at essentially any point. It's just, he, he knows what pitches are strikes, he just needs to pull the trigger. I feel like we need him to hang out with, like, Kevin Millar and Bellhorn and a bunch of these guys from the 2004 team that just had complete smooth brain syndrome and would just go up there and you know, take cerebral at bats and kind of just not overthink things. Not swinging at pitches in the zone seems like he is so far in his head that... Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, like, this is totally between the shoulders and not a physical talent or, 
you know, can't pick up pitches or whatever. Like, it's totally in his head. Yeah, and that's evidenced by he has a walk rate over 20%, which is absurdly high. It's in the top 2% (laughs) of the league. So he's getting on base. He's just not swinging enough at strikes. And he knows which pitches are balls and strikes because he's drawing walks left and right. So you're right. It, It definitely seems like it's just a complete mental block at this point. But it gives me confidence that he'll be able to overcome it. Yeah, man, I hope he he figures this out. Um, it it would be way too long uh, for him to continue to do this for the entire year. Uh, I think a change is coming. I own him on some fantasy teams, and I'm continuing to trot him out, and it sucks. But you know, I'm not sure there's anything else uh, that can be done there. Um, but we do have a few uh, listener questions too about him. Um, at least one, I think. Um, well, the one was what's wrong with Benny. So I think we just covered oh, that. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. So we're good on that one. Uh, and we'll get to the other more fun one about Benny later. Um, I want to move on to Brian Johnson. So Brian Johnson is no longer with the Red Sox organization. He was granted his release by the team. Um, I think there was maybe some frustration about not being up with the team and, Um, I think he just kind of ran his course. Uh, what is your impression of, uh, him not being with the organization anymore? Does that surprise you at all? Or are you just kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's time. Yeah. I mean, it does a little, uh, given the state of the current roster for starting pitching and how we're basically rolling two bullpen days out there. Uh, and we know that he can go get innings, whether or not they're, good or bad. I mean, they certainly couldn't be worse than what they're rolling out there. Um, that part was surprising. I know he wasn't on the 40 man, so they would have had to make some room, but there's plenty of guys that they could have made room for. So I guess I'm a little surprised in that sense, but overall it's more of a thank you for your service. We'll catch you later. Yeah. 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 I think it was time. Um, I think it was pretty clear that the judgment, uh, on Brian Johnson had been made by Heimblum in this organization and, there are just more interesting arms, and I think there was nothing more evidence of that by uh, when the Red Sox sent down Weber. They brought up Dylan Covey, who's really horrendous to watch, uh, <laughs> instead of you know a guy like Brian Johnson. So uh, if if Dylan Covey is coming up instead of you, you're probably better off in another organization. So hopefully he lands on his feet. Uh, it seems like an all-around good guy. Um, so. You know, sad to see him leave for that regard. Um, but let's let's talk about the pitching here a little bit. Um, Eovaldi continues to be a really consistent presence for the Red Sox. He struck out 10 guys in his last game. Um, you know, he, he's looked good uh, overall. He's been locating well. He looks healthy, which is the biggest thing to me. Um, when Eovaldi's healthy, uh, he's been good. As, as long as he's been with the Red Sox, he's been good when he's been healthy. Um but my question for you, Keaton, is that as we see him be this consistent presence for this team, he's pretty much the only one that uh, has, well, I guess I'll give some credit to my guy that we're going to talk about next. Martin Perez has been <laughs> pretty good, too. Um, but Eovaldi's really been that reliable guy since day one. Is he still best used as a trade chip for this team? Or with this team having the feel of a team that could kind of morph into a contender with just a few moves around the fringes. At least that's how I feel about it. I feel like there are a couple arms in a healthy Chris Sale away from that point. Because if you, if we think about it, right, so next year, 
By June, you could have Chris Sale. You should have Erod at the start. You will have Ivaldi as long as you don't trade him. Let's say you sign one guy, and we got a question about signing Trevor Bauer this winter. Let's just say they make a splash and sign Trevor Bauer. Um, all of a sudden, you're like one decent fifth starter away. Or Martin Perez, you just pick up his option. I guess he's been playing like a decent fifth starter. Like, that's a pretty good rotation. So my question to you is like, you know, do you trade him in this market that could be pretty bad in terms of your return, or is he more valuable to this team? Yeah, I think he's more valuable to the team. When you laid it out, um, this entire pitching staff is completely different with a healthy Erod and a healthy Chris Sale. Um, and Evaldi is your third starter rather than your first. Um, they definitely still need to sign uh, a pitcher, but it makes it easier to sign one versus two, especially in what's probably going to be a weird market. I think he's more important to the team, but I think it comes down to what is more important to this Red Sox front office, rolling out a contender or saving more money. Because if they wait until the offseason, um, going into what hopefully will be like a, a full regular season of baseball, um, then they probably could get more for Evaldi after a 60-game stretch where he's been really impressive. And so if they felt like moving him, I don't think it would at all be during the season this year. It would be prior to the season next year. Um, but they'd still have work to do on their own starting pitching. So him as just a player, more valuable to the Red Sox, but uh, it depends on if they want to pay their third starter $17 million. Mm. Yeah, and I, I tend to agree. Um, I think if the Red Sox plan is to add another pitcher, and especially because it seems like we are going to get to August 31st at this point, it doesn't seem like Rob Manfred – if he was going to shut it down, he would have shut it down during the Miami debacle or during this recent Cardinals debacle. It seems like they're just hell-bent on playing, and Jackie Bradley was right when he was asked about that. And he was like, yeah, I think we're going to play no matter what. Um, he's convinced me. Uh, so I think they're going to reset the luxury tax. I do think that they're going to spend. So I'm starting to lean towards keeping Eovaldi as well. Um, he's leading the team in war for pitchers uh, on Fangraph's war. Um, which measures it by FIP. But second in that race to him, and first on the team in ERA at 3.45, is Martin Perez, who's now thrown 15.2 innings pitched. Uh, he's got two wins. He leads the team in wins at that point. Um, he's been walking a bunch of guys. A lot of those were in his first really bad outing. But Matt wrote an article about how Martin Perez has actually been doing a pretty damn good job of limiting hard contact and uh, it's looking like your boy, Jake, uh, was not out of his mind to think Martin Perez could have been something. <laughs> or is something. Two starts does not make a season. But it, it is certainly not. impressive. Um, I'm not there yet. Uh, I'm excited about the progress that he's made. Uh, but I'm not ready to kind of uh, dub him a success quite yet. Although the cutter has been a pretty great pitch for him. Yeah, it really has. Um, and just to get people updated on where that is. So he made that change to the cutter last year and he threw it 30.9% of the time. This year he's throwing it even more at 31.6% of the time. He's throwing his sinker less. He's throwing his change up a fair amount, actually more than he ever has in his career. And, um, the changeup has been a neutral pitch, and the cutter has been 
uh, among the better uh, starter cutters. So it is kind of looking like a, a game changer. Yeah, it is interesting to note, though, that his spin rate on all of his pitches is down this year compared to last year, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but he is getting more widths on um, his cutter by a couple percentages, which is good to see that it's just kind of continuing to be a very strong pitch for him. Yeah, I agree. Um, so we talked about Martin Perez uh uh, and uh, his success, we talked about Ryan Weber getting sent down and Dylan Cubby coming into his place. A couple more notes before we get to listener questions. Um, Matt Hall and Chris Mazza were also sent down um, since the last time we talked. Um, <clears throat> so there's another interesting kind of wrinkle. Major League Baseball has decided that it's not going to make that final cut down to 26-man rosters, which is what it would typically be in a regular year. They are going to stay at 28-man rosters for the rest of the year. So it kind of looks like the group that they have here, maybe some of the back-end guys like Covey get switched out, but it seems like uh, other than that, you know, this is kind of the mix. Yep. That's what they got. Yeah. It's what they got, whether they like it or not. (laughs) Um, Jackson Posey has our first listener question here. He says, if Alex Verdugo and Andrew Benintendi were made of Play-Doh, what colors would they be? First one that came to mind for me was uh, blue for Verdugo and red for Benintendi. Hmm. Dodgers and Red Sox. (laughs) Yeah. Is that subliminal? It might have been. <laughs> uh, I feel like Redugo would be orange, um, like a kind of a burnt Texas orange. And I feel like Benintendi would be like like a kind of a military color camo-ish, like green. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, every time I hear Benintendi talk, and this is no knock on the guy. I just want to go to sleep because he's just so damn boring when I hear him give interviews. And Verdugo is like the opposite. He's the human version of um, a Lamborghini. You know, he just screams, look at me um, when he's talking or playing in the field or running the bases or whatever. Uh, and, and Benny's just like, you know, the Toyota Camry. It's that's what it is. Yeah. You uh, went way deeper than I did. I was I just stayed real surface. <laughs> Sometimes you know these these questions hit. Um, Big Stash, Mister Nice Crocs says, uh, "Can you please make me feel hopeful? It doesn't have to be for this season. I just need to feel good about this team after the Mookie trade in this fart napkin of a season." Oh, fart napkin is that is that in your <laughs> vernacular, uh, Keaton? Have you ever used fart napkin? No. Will you now? I might. I mean, it's a good one. Yeah, it's it's not bad. Um, I, I think what we outlined about the starting pitching next year, you know, if they keep Evaldi, that's three. Martin Perez is a five, and one signee either goes towards the front of the rotation if it's a Bauer type or somewhere around the middle. I mean, I feel a whole lot better about that group next year than than I do this year, right? That's not that far off. Yeah, I mean, that's the definition of hope right there. I was going to go with the core of the lineup, 
with Verdugo and Devers and Bogarts is great and locked up for like the next five years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they still have when this lineup is going right. And obviously it's not because J.D. Martinez and Rafael Devers are still hitting terrible. Their WRC pluses are well under 100. That is not going to continue. I'm super confident in that. And it's why I didn't really spend any time on it tonight is because I'm convinced that those are kind of blips. Um, and if you can just add another pitcher, maybe a bullpen piece and like one position player here, um, I feel pretty good, honestly. But then again, I've been optimism guy, which is been weird. Um, all right, Shropshire Bear says, what do you think are the plans to fix this shit show in 2021, rotation specifically? Do you think the club realizes how pissed off fans are at the shambles after the Mookie trade, or do they even care? Um, so this is kind of the same question, um, but specifically, Keaton, I guess the second part is pretty tailor-made for you. Yeah. Um, do you think that the club cares about fans and how they feel about the Mookie trade? Yeah, I think they do uh, to an extent, I guess. Um, they were very clearly caught off guard by the fan reaction to the trade, holding three separate press conferences to try and explain why this was actually a good thing for the franchise. Um, so they were clearly swayed enough by the immediate reaction to try and explain it away. Uh, three was probably an overkill, but we know how this front office is with press conferences. They really don't do very well at them. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> That's true. I think they care, but I think they expected more kind of just blind following Yeah. than being upset at trading him away. Um, I, don't, I mean, the plan has to be focusing on the starting pitching because yeah. they can't roll out a rotation like this for an entire season. And they've been telling us all along, even since they traded Mookie, that this team still can compete. But, I mean, with the starting pitching they're rolling out there, that's just very obviously not true. And they're absolutely lying to themselves. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess when they said all that, we did expect to have Eduardo Rodriguez, if Martin Perez really is this successful reclamation project that changes everything. So, yeah, there would be one starting pitcher away from having a lot more confidence again. Um, but that has to be the focus of this offseason. I don't, I mean, the lineup is fine. Um, the bullpen is frustrating, but generally gets through it more often than they fail, even though it's frustrating to watch. But the mega elephant in the room is just how terrible the starting pitching is. So that's that should be their focus to address it. And uh, I think, in general, they do care about the fans. So I think that I agree with everything that you said, and I want to move to our next listener question, kind of jump a few ahead. There was a guy who asked about signing uh, Trevor Bauer in this offseason, and Trevor Bauer is the top starting pitcher who's going to be available. He's going to be 30. Um, he's pitching extremely well for Cincinnati this year. Talk about spin rate. He's pretty much a spin rate god in all sorts of categories. Um, his career has been a little bit up and down, which has been frustrating. But when you talk about the other guys on the market um, for next season, you're talking about guys like Stroman, uh, Mike Miner, who's getting old, Jaco Derizzi, who's good, but kind of been up and down. Robbie Ray, who I want nothing to do with, um, you know, so pitchers in that sort of vein. James Paxton is another one, but he scares me health wise. For me, I, I think it's got to be Trevor Bauer or a trade. 
Yeah, and I think um, even though Bauer has been really inconsistent, if he has a really solid 60-game stretch here, I think he'll end up pricing himself out of the Red Sox range. I don't think they want to spend another 17 to $20 million on a player going into next year, knowing that they'll have Rodriguez back and Chris Sale back. Uh, I kind of see them targeting guys that are going to be in like the 10 to 12 range. Hmm. Um, I don't think Stroman wants anything to do with this organization, so he's probably out. Um, Odorizzi kind of feels like the guy that it'll end up being. I love Robbie Ray, and I would hope that <laughs> it's him. I know he struggles with walks, but God, his fastball and slider are so freaking good and fun to watch that I think um, maybe give the Red Sox pitching staff a chance to do something fun with him. I would love it for it, for it to be him. He would be my choice. So the the cap uh, for next year, uh, just to give people a picture, the luxury tax situation, I should say, um, the Red Sox are expected to owe $128 million. Um, after this season, and if if we assume we make it to the the thirty first and and everything resets there, um, I actually do think that the Red Sox could hand out Trevor Bauer like a twenty five million dollar a year contract and still be well under the luxury tax threshold. And I'm not sure that they would really balk at that because we've seen this organization be pretty reactionary in terms of. You know, fans get upset or, you know, they do poorly the year before, go out and sign Pablo Sandoval and uh, Hanley Ramirez in the same offseason. Like, that is a terrible example of them being reactionary, but they kind of are. And I don't think Bloom will spend on someone who he doesn't see as worthwhile. So I could see them making that signing. Especially because, like, Eddie comes off the books after 2021. It's his final arbitration year. Chris Sale's going to be healthy. So even if you're paying Eddie, like, a healthy salary in arbitration, which I don't know that his figure is going to be much higher than it was this year. It was 8-3 this year. It might, I, I don't know if they can go down. I don't think they can go down, but it's probably not going to go up by much. I don't think they're going to owe a ton in arbitration next year. No, I don't think they will, but I just don't expect them to spend money. But but why not? They always have. <laughs> yeah, until it came to the best player they've ever had. Well, right. Seems but like a we weird know that that stop. situation was way more complicated than just that one thing. Like they were in a bad position financially, and you know we can talk about how they should have done it anyway. But like now that they're in a, a situation where they literally don't have any excuse to spend, why wouldn't they? Because I still don't think they want to. I think that's a big reason why they have Bloom there is to find guys that can perform for lower hmm. salaries. So like somebody like Bauer, I just don't think they're going to go after. I think he's going to be priced out of their range. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think the only way that they don't sign Bauer is if Bloom doesn't like him or someone else blows them out of the water. But I think they'll make a really big offer to him, uh, just personally. All right, next question comes from Colts10. Uh, deep down, do you want to make a run or tank for a stud pitcher in the draft? Keaton, what would you rather do? Tank for rocker and lighter or, you know, make the playoffs? Yeah, I would like to tank. Um, 
I think not having Eduardo Rodriguez really changed the entire complexion of the season. Um, and I, just because of that, and like they're not obviously just going to spend money on a short season, and they can't really make a trade because of the market for a short season. Like people aren't going to be willing to like offer stuff up or give people up really all that easily. Mm-hmm. That I, I'd love to have a nice shiny prospect. I don't think that they'll be good enough at tanking um, to Probably get. Not one of those top two guys. And I don't really care about anybody who's not those top two guys in a way that is so significant that I would prefer that to winning. So for me, I would rather see them push for 500 and make the playoffs and like watch a little bit of playoff baseball um, that matters to some degree uh, and just see what happens in this wild year. I don't know. I'm not expecting anything obviously, but yeah, I think. Yeah, this this year is just so weird. Like, if they were in the same spot right now in a hundred and sixty so hard lap, hundred and sixty two game season, I would feel differently. I would say that uh, I mean, like you outlined, they're like a move or two away from significantly overhauling, overhauling the roster that they have. So I'd want them to go and make those moves. This seems like such a weird year that like I don't I don't really care where they fall because it's just a weird sixty game season. So. Yeah. Um, if we have a chance at a nice shiny new prospect, I, that's fun. Those are always fun. Yeah, prospects are fun for sure. Uh, ben Jacobson was the one that asked the Trevor Bauer question, so thank you for that, Ben. Uh, Who's your con? Asks us. Do you think Martinez is giving his all this season? Was reported that he refused to DH the other day. Um, I didn't see that report, and I know you didn't see that report either, Keaton. Um, I I don't have any reason to believe that Martinez who seems to have been like pretty much a second coach or third coach on this team that's the whole time he's been here has any reason not to play hard yeah um I'm trying to see if I can like quickly find something I just think I just found something on the sports hub that said did he quit on the Red Sox so I don't I don't know if that's what it's referring to or not, but um, I did not see that story anywhere at all. Um, I don't really have any reason to believe that he would. Um, he loves the from everything that we've gathered. He just loves the process of playing baseball. So I don't know why that would all of a sudden change here, especially in a year where like I think we we've talked about this before, but we don't expect him to opt out just because of the weirdness that will be this off season. Um, he'll just he'll be able to get more money if he just stays. So if he's planning on staying, it doesn't make sense to like even though it's a weird season to just bail on it and then be like, Sight guys, I'm back, let's do this all again next year. Like I feel like the Red Sox are pretty pissed off about that. Yeah, it's not a good impression to make on your teammates or your employer if you're you're planning on not opting out. So yeah, I agree. Uh I don't think there's much to that. Um, Gordon Constock has our next and final question. He says, what slash line would Verdugo have to end up with to make you feel okay with the Mookie trade? Um, I would need him to be a perennial uh, eight-win player and win an MVP in the next three years. <laughs> Um, my standards are not so high. I'm very happy with 
the young, exciting Verdugo right now. Um, I think he'll he'll settle in as like a two eighty to three hundred hitter every year with a high OBP and some good defense. So um, I'm happy with him. Obviously, I wish we had Mookie Betts instead of him, but you know I'm pretty stoked with uh, Verdugo right now. One of the most fun players to watch on the team. Yep. Not to say that I I am not enjoying him because I too am very excited about him and enjoying his playing. Yeah, it's nice to have some young talent. But better to have Mookie. Yep. All right, uh, that wraps up our show. Um, if you haven't checked out Keaton's piece on Benintendi, please go ahead and do that. Uh, I will be writing something at Over the Monster at some point this week, probably. Um, and I have a list of things, but I don't know what I'm going to write about yet. Um, so look for my unnamed piece. <laughs> uh, the Red Sox also could see a couple new starters coming up here. We might get Kyle Hart on Thursday, so that could be interesting. Look for that. Um and uh, find us on Twitter and follow the show um, and subscribe to the show. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at, at Dev Jake. You can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. And uh, remember to subscribe, rate, and review us and uh, ask us any questions about the socks on there and we'll get back to you. So thanks very much for joining us again on the Over the Monster Podcast Network. That has been the Red Sea Podcast. Mm-hmm.